Hello and welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for April 24th. I am Dylan Flynn. I am Trevor Ickrath. My big, strong, handsome boy, Trevor. How you doing this week? Don't call me that. <laughs> but if I don't call you that, won't people just assume that you're the opposite of all those things? That's fine. I honestly don't want people even thinking that I have like a corporal form. That's a good point. You're just, yeah. you're just a sound wave. Exactly. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually okay, Trevor. The only thing I have to report to you this week is I am a transplant in the southern United States. I'm from the Northwest, so there's things that happen here sometimes that I just don't know anything about. Uh, I certainly had heard of the, the term love bug used before. I haven't. Uh, I mean, I'm familiar with Herbie, the Her- yeah, I'm course. familiar with the Herbie movies. <laughs> Herbie is a love bug. Well, apparently, a love bug is a thing. It's like a plague that happens uh, in the South during the spring, Trevor, and it is really gross. Uh, right now, as I speak, if I were to walk to any sort of glass surface in my home that leads out into the out of doors, I would see them crawling all over it. Oh, gross! It's very gross. They're kind of like. The bug version of uh, Jennifer Connelly in Requiem for a Dream in that they're always asked to ask with each other. Ooh. <laughs> they, they sort of move as one. Uh, they fly and wiggle around as one. And uh, the other day, I came into my house and found a pair of them in my hair. And it was really awful. Also makes me feel kind of lonely. Oh, right. Because you, you don't have somebody who you feel that attached to that you can sort of fly around with always joined at the hip yeah exactly i've had i've also had bug problems though i've had a lot of moths in my room Ooh, that's gross moths are gross they're like spooky i have like a giant window um instead of like uh instead of small windows i have this one very long rectangular window that kind of opens at an angle and they've just been flying in through it so i've been like catching them in jars and creating like little moth communities (laughs) you are lonely yeah well, Trevor, uh, as much as this is always a fascinating glimpse into your, your psyche, we've got just so much to get through. Yeah, we have a lot. There's a lot of gorillas to get through. And before we get into the news, I gotta, we gotta, we got to make something right uh, with a very special man who I feel that, not intentionally, but who we sort of accidentally misrepresented last week. Yeah, I'm very disappointed in myself for this. Well, you know, I feel like we can at least take it on the chin together because we both kind of had the same weird brain fart about uh, Morgan Nichols, who <laughs> last week we claimed played bass on the album Demon Days. Yeah, not, not technically true. So first thing, we suggested that maybe he was, uh, it was a fake name. And it's not. He's, a, he's an actual guy. He was there is just band. somebody who happens to be named almost identically to Murdoch Nichols. And also play bass in Gorillas. Yes. <laughs> uh, he, he played in a band called Senseless Things, uh, a, a UK band. Now, he didn't play bass on the Demon Days album, but uh, he was their live bassist for both of the Demon Days live residencies. So he played all of the Manchester dates and all of the, the Apollo Theater dates. Good on you, Morgan Nichols. You're an honorary gorilla. Not even a, you're a real gorilla. Uh, should we get into the news? I thought we were already in the news. It's all good news now. 
Trevor, uh, just real quick off the top here, I wanted to let you know that there were four new official remixes from Humans that came out this week from Banks and Ranks and Purple Disco. Oh, I think it's actually Purple Disco Machine. I wrote down Dinosaur. Uh, Ju and Bauer. You can hear all of these remixes from the official Gorillas YouTube channel, so go check them out. Guess how many I listened to. I'm going to guess zero. Yeah, I didn't listen to any of these. My patience with the Gorillaz remixes is growing increasingly thin. It's just kind of not. I'm not maybe there'll come a time in between this phase and the next when I, fi- when I find myself coming through all that stuff. Maybe. Uh, but for now, there's just too much going on. Like, for instance, did you know, Trevor, the Gorillaz have partnered with Pandora for their uh, Sounds Like You campaign? I did. I read it in our Google Doc. <laughs> well, uh, it's a... it's it's. Designed to help promote this new, I guess, like, extra premium uh, subscription service that Pandora is rolling out. So they've got a few different artists. Like, I think Big Sean is also doing one. Um, And I got to tell you, I read maybe three or four press releases about this, and I still couldn't get to the bottom of, is this a Pandora playlist that an artist, like, programmed? Or is it an actual playlist of songs that were hand-selected? I'm not sure either. Because you can actually hear it. You can hear the Gorillaz one right now, even if you don't have, even if you just have a regular old crappy Pandora account. The non-premium one. But they don't like let you skip around, so I can't really tell if that thing is just like 20 songs long and loops or what's going on. I don't know, Trevor. I can't imagine being the kind of person whose like primary mode of listening to music is Pandora. Like no, no hate if no. that is like how you mainly listen to music, but. It just doesn't seem like any way to live. I'm too much of a control freak to, exactly. to live and die by the algorithm. Yeah, for the most part, like I, I need to be at the wheel. I need to be at the wheel. I'm not ready for the self-driving car of music. Yeah. The reason I, I really wanted to talk about the Pandora Sound Like You campaign is the is the commercial. Did you see the commercial, Trevor? I did. The commercial was pretty cool. I did check really out the commercial. Cool. Yeah. Like I, it's 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 a, a genuine piece of new Phase Four animation, and like it's really stylish. Uh, there's a little nod to Plastic Beach in it. Like we're we're this is obviously our Plastic Beach episode, but if you look at uh, it's sort of a split screen of all four of the band members driving cars, like kind of doing a drag race. Uh, and if you look on the passenger side of Noodles' car, uh, sitting on the dash, you can only see it reflected on the windshield is her her mask from the Plastic Beach era. Oh, you know, I think I missed that. That's pretty cool. Really cool little details like that. I recommend that you go on YouTube and look up Sounds Like Gorillas commercial. Really cool. There's a new app, Trevor. The Lens. Yeah, The Lens from Deutsche Telekom. Is Phase 4 like the official, we've handshaked with the capitalism devils phase of Gorillas? It seems like there's every story is about some kind of corporate partnership this year. Yeah, it is kind of shaping up that way. So The Lens is a, is a new Gorillas. T-Mobile slash Deutsche Telekom app that is not out in the U.S. right now, so we were not able to to try it out. Yeah, you got to be in the U.K. I think it is coming, but there isn't a release date yet. Um, the way that it works is you hold your phone's camera up to something that is magenta in color. They couldn't have chosen one of the more like mainstream colors, I guess. Like, it couldn't have been th- like blue. Like I'm looking around this room that I'm in right now, and I do not see anything that I think would even remotely be magenta. Uh, but I think the reason that they did that is like the T-Mobile logo is magenta, so it's like their their branding color. That's like what a pink. Yeah, it's like a pinkish purple. Okay. And uh, so the idea is you hold your phone's camera up to something magenta, and it'll just kind of chroma key. It'll like replace that thing with a, a video or 
some music or, or uh, a little picture of something Gorillaz related. Yeah, it's going to be out for Android and iPhone in America eventually. It's already there for the UK. So if you're listening in the UK, you can go check it out. Yeah, send us a tweet or something telling us how you enjoy it. And there's also a little commercial for that app as well on YouTube that uses a little snippet of a song from Humans, which I believe is Charger. It's kind of a funny commercial because I think it sort of it, it really exaggerates how many magenta things you will encounter in your world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there's some teenagers who are like, hey, let's go down to the, to the swimming pool and point our cameras at that magenta-colored <laughs> swimming pool. We've got a lot of live news. Want to get to that? We do have a lot of live, a lot news, of live to, news to get into. Uh, I, I'll start with this one because it's probably the smallest of these stories. There's going to be an intimate in-store performance at Rough Trade in New York City uh, from Gorillaz. If you're not aware, that's a record, very famous record store in New York City. That's tomorrow. If you're listening to this on the 24th, tomorrow, the 25th, Tuesday, you got to show up hours early from this. Uh, apparently at 11 a.m. they're going to start handing out wristbands. I'm sure it's going to be a total shit show. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, this is not... I looked at pictures. This is not a huge record store. There's not going to be that many people who get these wristbands. So... I wouldn't be surprised if, as you're listening to this on Monday, some weirdo is, is sitting across the street from Rough Trade in a little lawn chair waiting to get in. In full gorillas cosplay. <laughs> in full gorillas cosplay, yeah, for sure. So that should be awesome. I, I hope we get like a few trip reports from that because it would be really – what an interesting setting to hear. Yeah, we'll have to check the Reddit or something. We've got a couple of, of late-night uh, TV talk show performances coming up, Trevor. Yeah, more than one, which I was surprised by. Yeah, so the big one, I guess, is the pre-release one. So the day before Humans drops, the 27th of Thursday, Gorillas are going to be on uh, late, the late show with Stephen Colbert. Right. Uh, which, I guess, didn't they also play the Colbert Rapport back in Phase 3? They I, did. I, I think they played Stylo. I think that was one of the uh, performances where Bobby Womack kind of went off script a little bit to the annoyance of Damon and like the other members of the band. Yeah, I, I do have. I didn't watch that in all of the plastic beach things that I consumed this week, but I do have a very specific memory about exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be this Thursday, and then after release on the fifth of May, they're also going to be on the Graham Norton show uh, in the UK. So we got a couple of cool, big, high-profile late-night uh, spots coming up to help promote the whole humans thing. Very excited about this. What do you um, think? Uh, what do you think they're going to play? Saturn's bars. You know, they, it's good. It's interesting you ask that because in the press release, they uh, released the names of the featured performers of this performance. Right. The personnel. Yeah, the personnel. And so basically by speculating, this is basically confirmation of who the human's live band is, at least at this point. Yeah, I think that's a pretty, pretty fair assumption to make. So as far as I can tell, it's, it's just all holdovers from the Plastic Beach live band. And no other artists mentioned. Now, that doesn't mean that Popcan's not going to be there. That doesn't mean that Vince Staples is not going to be there or whatever. But as far as we know, it's just those. So maybe it'll be like Andromeda. It could just be Andromeda, yeah. Which I definitely wouldn't mind seeing live. That'd be pretty cool. And while we're on live stuff, this is is maybe the biggest story of the week. Oh, yeah. Totally. The live dates were announced for the North American leg of the Humans Tour. Uh, and they went on sale, and for the most part, they all sold out. Like, immediately. It's going to be 19 dates. It's going to begin on the 10th of June uh, with the Chicago Demon Days Festival. It's going to end on the 15th of October with the Three Points Festival in Miami. I think that might be the first Florida Gorillaz performance, actually. Huh. 
I, I think I might have read that. Why don't you tell them the really exciting news about this? Yes, well, the tour is ending in October, but before it's over, Hallelujah Monkeys will be doing a live episode at the band's uh, stop at the Forum here in L.A. on October 5th. That's right. I'm so excited. We're going to do an in-person... I'm so excited for this. It's going to be like a landmark episode for the podcast, I'm sure. I'm very, very stoked. I hope nobody from the Forum is listening because I have plans to get a little bit of recording equipment into that venue, not... Not to bootleg the show. Yeah, we're okay. definitely we're gonna have to pull some kind of guerrilla maneuvers. It's gonna be great. I know it seems like a long way off, but man, October will get here before we know it, and that's gonna be an amazing experience. Can't wait. And then also, this was really cool. This is like a big moment, I think, in the in the development of being able to fully realize Jamie Hewlett's vision for his side of this band. Uh, the uh, live interview that was I yes. I loved it. So I was cool. I was more on board with the animated band during this interview than I've been with in a long time. It was just such a joy to watch. So if you don't know, at, at the YouTube London uh, headquarters, there was the first ever live interview with animated characters in it using kind of face facial performance capture technology and like uh, physical uh, motion capture technology. And it was Mr. J, Mr. J or Mr. Jam, the the guy from the BBC Radio that always kind of gets a, an inside beat with Damon and the and the group whenever there's new gorilla stuff. Uh, he was moderating it, and it was uh, it was Murdoch and 2D, and it was just super charming. It was really fun. It was very fun. It was all, it was very Python esque. I thought. Oh yeah, for sure. There's like some some fun like sketchy stuff. Like there was this moment where. Uh, the words Donald Trump are uttered and like... Yeah, Murdoch goes into a trance and 2D has to use some kind of weird, atonal kind of <laughs> hypnotism to get him out of it. Clearly something that they had planned ahead just so they wouldn't have to actually talk about Donald Trump. So one of the immediate uh, reactions to this thing was people saying that 2D sounded wrong to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, to me, I thought, well, I think it might still be Nelson DeFridis, but he just sounds like he's a little tired maybe or a little sick. Uh, but we actually found out that it was not Nelson DeFridis, the, the normal voice of 2D. It was a guy named Kevin Bishop. What did you think about Kevin Kevin's 2D voice and, and how 2D sounded in the interview? Well, first of all, I can't believe that there are people still in 2017 who do not think that Nelson DeFridis is anything more than a pseudonym for Damon Albarn doing a weird voice. But I thought, I thought Kevin Bishop was pretty good if he's not just another pseudonym for Damon Albarn playing this part. No, yeah. That's my gorilla's conspiracy theory, by the way. I will say that what what Kevin Bishop lacked in kind of the the voice cracking falsetto 2D stuff, he more than made up for in my opinion for just being very funny on his toes. In the yeah, and he also had very good chemistry with uh Phil Cornwall. I like, thought he won my heart over that moment when they asked if they had any stories about Grace Jones and he went off on this weird tangent about her trying to hand him a jacket <laughs> while he was carrying two glasses of orange juice in his hands. Yeah, very gorillas, like very gorillas. He was immediately really in character. It's really good. I mean, you know, no big like news revelations in that interview, but that's not what you want out of a in character. No, it's just a know? really cool, uh, very good display of what gorillas are capable of on a technological side now, too. Yeah, it felt like a big leap forward, and I mean, mm-hmm. that, you know, it wasn't out with it wasn't without its little tiny visual glitches. Like there was some Murdoch's right eye had some wonkiness to it. And yeah, like, but whatever. I mean, but, as far as yeah. as far as I am concerned, that's like canonically in character, basically. 
Yeah, Murdoch's body and, doing weird things that he can't control. I mean, we've seen that for like the past three <laughs> phases at least. But I mean, come on, it ended with like a live fan question and answer segment. That's really cool. And then also there's two more interviews that were taped on that same day, one with the enemy and one with uh, with Radio Eins, which is a German outlet, uh, that, that were you know literally on the same couch, filmed the same day using the same technology. There might have been more taped that day. They might have done a day of junket for all I know. Yeah, we'll see if anything else comes out, I guess. And then the last thing I want to mention before we talk about the Humans House Party, Trevor, is that, yes, we know uh, Humans has leaked. We are aware. Yes. From what I've heard, we are still lacking a full lossless or 320 kilobyte per second uh, quality version. We're no, okay, so we're not listening to the leak. Yeah, I think it's probably a better idea for us to wait. We're going to wait. We're not, ju- we're not being sanctimonious about that. We're certainly not judging those of our listeners, plenty of our listeners who have decided to listen to the, the leak. I, I am. I am. I mean, I personally have indulged in a gorilla's leak in the, in the past. Which one? Uh, Demon Days. I listened to Demon Days when it leaked. Oh, wow. That's like forever ago. I forgot that albums actually did leak in like 2005. Yeah, the Demon Days leak, uh, the version of Kids with Guns with leak was, was 30 seconds long and cut off right after he said, Kids with Guns. <laughs> so, the ideal way to experience the album for the first time. No, not the ideal way. Yeah. And, and I'm, again, if you are a person who wants to listen to this leak and whatever, that's fine. We, I'm not judging you. I am. I will say that the gorillas i don't i'm not the kind of person who feels sorry for a Lars Ulrich losing his millions uh and i certainly don't feel bad about Damon Albarn who's a very wealthy comfortable man but i will say that the gorillas project is a very expensive project and the future of this band and how much content we get from it has everything to do unfortunately with the commercial success of the output so I would say if you are indulging in these leaks, please still buy a release copy of this record because we really want Phase 4 to be full of more music and we want to have a Phase 5 and, you know, that's what we can do to help ensure that happens. Um, but for the mo- the main reason, I think, Trevor, that you and I are not really doing this leak thing is that uh, we know that we have listeners who won't be listening to that leak and who won't have a way to listen to the album before its official release. And we just want to try to experience the album with those listeners so that they don't feel left out of the party, so to speak. Totally, yeah. I'm really looking forward to eventually you know, doing our immediate reactions when we finally do hear the album. But you actually have heard the album once. I've heard Humans once through. Don't worry. I'm not going to talk about it at all. Uh, I am going to talk about my experience with the Humans House Party and my trip uh, there. And you will too, because yeah. you also had an experience. I, I have like I have several stories by this point. Spoiler alert: none of them end very happily. No, mine. We have kind of inverted stories. I have an irritating first act, and you have an irritating second act. Yes. Uh, so the humans house party it started on last Friday uh, on the twenty first at uh, at four p.m. UTC plus one. Everybody's favorite time zone. Um, and the run-up to the launch, I'm going to say, was obnoxious. I really didn't like how they did it. Um, I think they should have just released... They should have just dropped a press release that Monday saying, here are the locations. So what they did instead was, if you went to the Facebook page for the Human's House Party, like, for the several days leading up to the, to the launch, like, once every hour and a half... They were slowly they went, trickling out these, not even addresses, coordinates... 
Yes, exactly. Coordinates that you then had to grab, drop into Google Maps and see where, oh, that's going to be one. Oh, that's going to be one. But it was such a slow trickle, and it was like this slow buildup. And look, I was all, from the start, I was pretty convinced that Houston would get one of these things because we're the fourth largest city in the U.S., and, and more than likely, if there's 500 locations across the globe, uh, Houston would get one. But I, if I wasn't going to get one, I certainly would have rather just found out about that right away and not had to watch you know, my Facebook notifications for days, hoping that they would tell me whether or not I was getting one. But if they had just posted a list, we wouldn't have gotten to see the entire Gorilla's Phantom tearing itself apart in the comments of the Facebook posts they kept making. And then they did, finally, when, when the event went live... They didn't post a list, but they made it so from inside the app you could see which location was closest to you. And Houston got, I believe, seven of them, and then I think L.A. had over a dozen. Which I also think is a little messed up, because there's huge swaths of the world and the country that got none. Like, if you were in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, your closest house party was in, like, the Bay Area. A, a little bit obnoxious, because obviously these are geocache so it doesn't mean it doesn't cost any extra money to put one more geocache uh, in Salt Lake City or whatever, because all you're doing is you're just locking in a coordinate so that your phone's GPS says, "Hey, I'm here." That pings with the app, and then it says, "Okay, you can have access to this stream of the album." Right? Yeah. But oh, and I do want to say thank you, by the way, to there's a, an excellent Gorillas fan Discord called Kong Studios who were just so helpful. Uh, in keeping the the locations organized leading up to the, because uh, you know the trying to to navigate through a tangle of posts on a Facebook event page is not an easy thing. You're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys at Conk Studios. You're really you're really the best. Uh, but anyway, so I we both made trips. I guess I should probably say first that I went successfully uh, to a park in downtown Houston with a very beautiful view. I was able to get the album to play from start to finish. The stream was strong. Uh, no skipping or quality loss from what I could tell. I will say that it was a little bit irritating that I could not multitask. Literally, I could not switch my phone screen off or the stream would stop. So I had to just leave the app open, the battery-draining app that is constantly using your camera, and hope that my phone survived that 50 minutes, which it did, uh, that it took to get through the whole album. And then, uh, and then I took my notes. I drove back home it all worked as according to plan for me now what was your experience trevor well i tried to go to two the first one i tried to go to i headed out around like um probably like eleven thirty p.m on friday night because you were like oh you should listen to it at night i got some serious nighttime vibes from it and you know that's the kind of impression i was getting too based off songs like andromeda so um get in the car with like a friend of mine and we're trying to find this spirit house we're following the goddamn like dousing rod. They're called dousing rods. To find one of these things, you had to follow a dousing rod in the app that like was that counted down by meters how far away from it you were. Right. So I drive all over like Wilshire Boulevard looking for this thing and I end up at um the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. What? Which is, I guess is where the spirit house was located because as I approached, I eventually had to stop because I you know, bumped into the gate, preventing you from getting into the LACMA after oh hours. Oh my God, that I is was, so dumb. I was 80 meters away. 
So the stream, by the way, starts when you're within 50 meters. So you Great. were literally you Great. were 30 meters. Yeah. That so is if so you dumb. if you happen to be like on Wilshire Friday night by the like lighting fixture that everybody on Instagram fucking loves, you probably saw me kind of stomping around <laughs> and ranting that I couldn't get to listen to this Gorillaz album. Uh, the next day, I decided to go find the one that's by uh, USC, which is actually just around the corner from my house. I decided to walk this one, walk to this one. And unbeknownst to me, I wound up uh, in the middle of USC's like fraternity row. <laughs> so, so picture me walking up and down this long ass street of frat houses, just l- one after another, at five oh five God. p.m. on a Saturday afternoon. Like I felt like I was fucking walking through the shadow of the valley of death or whatever. I mean, okay? you must have felt you must have felt fifty years old, also. Like. <laughs> I don't know if you can get this based on the fact that I co-host the Gorillas podcast. I am not comfortable around like <laughs> college-aged frat people. What and USC linebackers? You don't yes, want to hang out with them? Basically, I just and they were there were so many people around and they were all completely wasted. And I was just trying to find this dumbass little animated bands album. I couldn't get to that one because apparently that one was inside USC. This is why I think they should have limited it to one per city, even if... Because both Houston and L.A. are pretty sprawling. Like, you know, it takes a long time to cross the entirety of L.A. or the entirety of Houston. But put one in a park. In a park that is open. You go to it. There's no headache like this. Anyway, obviously, in in some way, I'm kind of looking a gift horse in the mouse. Because obviously, they didn't need to do this for us. Right. Uh, And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people got to hear the album. And they really enjoyed the experience of tracking it down and... You know, listening to it for the first time like this. It sounds like it would have been cool. Sounds like it would have been cool. You know, I don't. It was cool. It was a cool experience. Yeah. I'm, ha- I'm actually happy that it was my first experience with the album because it worked well for me. But I see that there were many ways in which it might not have. Uh, I think that's it. Is that it? I'm pretty sure that's it. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Let's get into the roundtable. Let's take a trip to Plastic Beach. We're going to do a track-by-track breakdown of Plastic Beach. I have been chomping at the bit to get to this one, too. I only realized, like, two days ago how excited I am to talk about this record with you. But now that it's here, I am really stoked. I am relieved to be talking about this record with you because this was a hard-ass week for me. Yeah, you've alluded to that several times. There was a fair amount of poker-facing going on in our Facebook chat last night. Yeah, well, my problem this week was just that I feel like I've still never quite closed the book on my feelings about this album. Interesting. It took me a long time to get there. I mean, I've listened to it, you know, with relative regularity since 2010, since mm-hmm. it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, obviously, I've always had my jams on the record that I, that I gravitate toward. But just looking at it in context of like, okay, as a whole, what is this record? was so hard for me and I had to listen to this album so many times and in so many different ways this week to really finally think okay this is what Plastic Beach is to me this is what Plastic Beach means to me all right we'll talk about that why don't you give me a picture of where you were at when you first heard this album when I first heard this album I immediately was really charmed by it um I I thought it felt like (sighs) you know less economical than demon days but in a fun way 
like uh, there was sort of a let's throw everything we got at the, at the wall kind of a, a vibe to it, which is sort of like, for example, my favorite Beatles record is the White Album for that same kind of chaotic energy. Okay. Um, and then as I lived with the album more, I found myself really only listening to an, a, a half of it that was sort of scattered throughout the record. Interesting. See, when this when this album came out, I was very resistant for some reason to the very idea of a third Gorillaz album. So now what do you mean by that exactly? What what about it? I'm not totally sure why to this day, but I mean when I think about where I was at uh in my life when it was coming out, I was nineteen, just about to turn twenty. I was uh in my first year of college, and I don't know, I'm not sure why I wasn't too stoked about the idea of having Gorillas back around. Maybe it was some kind of desire to put my teenage years and interests behind me and I was kind of I felt a little shaky about this thing popping back up that I associated with that time in my life yeah I could understand that um you know there is something I think we've all gone through a, a moment of growing pains us older gorillas fans where we're like am I really still that guy who loves this cartoon band mm-hmm. uh and of course the answer for us obviously is yes I am still that guy yeah but ever since it has my appreciation of it has grown in leaps and bounds well, I will tell you right now, this album has changed a lot for me over the last week. So let's talk about that. So when you were resistant to the record, were there, were there musical elements of it that, that, you, that weren't working for you? Or was it just kind of the whole, like, did the, did the concept of it seem overblown to you? What, was, what, was your, what were you resistant to initially? Honestly, I'm just aspects of both things that you just mentioned. But, um, yeah, I didn't really, I wasn't too thrilled with the new... Um, kind of, I guess, incarnation of the band, everything that was going on with the lore, which is interesting because now, in retrospect, Phase 3 is my favorite Gorillaz era. I think it's my favorite aesthetic on the Jamie Hewlett side of things. This is the dark and challenging reboot of Gorillaz, I realize. Like, Damon and Jamie definitely weren't afraid of taking the band in a daring daring new direction, you know? Well, yeah, I guess I kind of see you see that, but I... You know, obviously, Demon Days out of self-titled is its own dark and daring reboot. I know, but the thing is that in Phase 3, Gorillas aren't even really a band anymore. Right, so they're all kind of divided. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, Gorillas, as they appear on Plastic Beach, are Murdoch in 2D. Noodle is like a secret agent ninja now or something, so she's been replaced with a a robot. robot, Russell turned into a giant and is too busy doing giant things somewhere else. So you've really only got Murdoch holed up on this floating island of garbage basically holding 2D hostage and forcing him to help record this album using a bunch of old demos he stole from Damon Albarn. Yeah, that's the, that's the, the in-universe yeah. behind-the-music story of this it's, record. And it's I, a really nice way for them to work in that a lot of the album is based on songs from a project that Damon and Jamie had recently abandoned, uh, Carousel. Carousel, which was going to be some kind of a, a operatic multimedia movie experience. Something. I, I actually like to think that that's where the style of video picks up, with Murdoch just having stolen the Carousel demos. Because, like, of course, like Damon that. would call Bruce Willis to get them back, right? Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that redo stylo since it's not immediately clear what's going on in yeah. that video. Anyway, yeah, all that's great setup for the album, and it's that kind of context that I think makes this a serious contender. When I think of what my favorite Gorillaz album would be, like I know I've said that um, Demon Days is my favorite album of all time, but Plastic Beach might be my favorite Gorillaz record if that makes sense. I I can I can go with you on that. I think I know what you mean, and obviously the lore is reflecting the sound, and as yes. much as it makes sense that you would you would remove. Uh, traditional 
Noodle and Russell from this record since it is so synthy. Although yeah. maybe not Russell. We'll get into that. To credit the synergy that exists between like the fictional and musical sides of Gorillaz, Plastic Beach really does sound like an album that's a result of those circumstances. I mean, like, but there's... these are definitely the kinds of songs that you'd expect someone who's stranded on an island and slowly going insane to make. And like, the music really sounds like it could have been made by a robot. So, But then there's also the question of narrative, because this is a very narrative phase of this band. And the question, I guess, the main question about this narrative is, should it have been a story... Uh, or should it have just should it just have been a a series of vignettes and moments taking place on this island of plastic beach? And really, the answer that I've come up with over the last week is that question cannot be answered because Jamie was unable to finish his story. He never got to complete complete the telling of the lore of this phase, which I think was probably setting up for additional music that we were supposed to get later in the phase as well. Rhinestone Eyes, which was to be the the next video, only now exists in. Uh, storyboard form and uh, and in fact I think this is a good segue for me to so I like to do that thing where I, I pull three adjectives I wanted to beat you to the punch here because I have three adjectives of myself this time oh this is a great idea yeah mm-hmm. let's compare and contrast then let's do yours alright I got three unpredictable unaccommodating and unrepentant ooh I like that I like that there's a that there's a because I have an un word in mind interesting also. okay let's hear them so my three are wistful, uh, fanciful, and unfinished. Interesting. Okay. So I'd like to ask you about unrepentant. All right. So <clears throat> the way I look at this album, maybe because, like I said, gorillas don't really exist at this point in the canon, is that this is the Damon Albarn gorillas album. This is the one where, he, like, more than ever, I think it sounds like him kind of playing with his musical friends and heroes rather than like an animated band making something. And this is the album where Damon just decides he's going to do, like, whatever he wants. He's going to play by his own rules, and he's not going to hold your hand while he does it, which is where uh, that definitely, unaccommodating definitely. word I up Yeah, I think that's, that's, I feel like that's reflected in the fact that there's no second producer on this record. I think it's, and I think he lays it all out for you in the first two songs of this album, all right? I want you to think about the first two proper songs on every Gorillaz record, all right? The first right. two songs on the, de- the debut are upbeat rock songs like catchy guitar riffs and choruses. Yeah. The first two songs on Demon Days are these like slowly unfolding pop tracks with mesmerizing climaxes. Right, with, with sort of dark, restrained energies. Yes. The first two songs on Plastic Beach are Snoop Dogg rapping nonsense over a vocoder and two grime rappers trading verses over an Arabic orchestra and like industrial synth farts. Yes, like, welcome to the world of the Plastic Beach. Like, there's no rules. This is going to be a weird ride. Like, imagine if Demon Days had started with Oh, Green World and All Alone. And that's, like, that's on purpose. That's Damon welcoming you to this new, more experimental version of the band. Absolutely. That's all the welcome you're going to get. From then on out, it's, Damon's just going to do his thing. If you can keep up, that's great. But if, it's, if not, it's your loss. He's not really going to hold your hand through the entire uh, process. And, like, I never so really... I never really get the impression that Damon worries about losing his audience here, which is like kind of ironic because that's literally kind of what happened at Coachella. But and it is ironic too because he because he he in interviews anyway he seemed to be very aware of the idea that he needed to make this record as accessible as he could under the circumstances. Which like, is weird because it doesn't sound like a record of songs that he made to be like accessible. Like that's yes, what I think. But you know, he keeps saying like there, there's all kinds of pop music language on these songs, even if 
structurally they're not pop songs, you know? Right. And that makes that makes a lot of sense to me, and we'll, you know, we'll kind of highlight that as we get to it on the record. Yeah. You know, the, one of the words that I brought up was, uh, well, which one were, are there any of them that you'd like me to expand on? See, I, I see where you're coming from with, with each one. Which one would you like to talk about most? Uh, I want to talk about Fanciful. Okay. Um, there's a tone, lyrically uh, and in the lore of this record, where... This is the. This seems to be the Gorillaz album in which magic exists. Like, if a, if there was a wizard in this phase, you wouldn't sort of bat an eye. You know, there's so many lyrics. I'm thinking of rhinestone, songs like Rhinestone Eyes and that sort of thing that have kind of like a, an oddly spiritual, uh, even if slightly abstracted, uh, uh, fantasy feeling to them. Trevor, let's get into the track by track. Let's, let's start do talking it. about the record. Start with that orchestral intro. Uh, I want to mention, I did, just like last time, I went on to the, the YouTube uploads to look at credits and took notes where things were interesting. Um, every time an orchestra plays, whether it's Symphonia Viva or the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble or the Arabic uh, Orchestra, every single member of the orchestra gets a full credit. So that's kind of awesome. That's cool. You couldn't give Rosie Wilson a feature on uh, Demon Days, <laughs> but you could credit every individual <laughs> member of these orchestras. That's cool. I love this intro. I think it's gorgeous. I, I like it's it too. It's it's called from a longer track. I think that also got released as a bonus track, Pirates Progress. Pirates Progress, which is just yeah. a really nice listen in its own right. Just beautiful kind of neoclassical music. So one of the things that I had the hardest time kind of making my mind up about this record going through it this week was what is going on with the sequencing of this album. Uh, and this is one of the moments on the album that I think kind of threw me for a loop because it feels like such an intentional. Uh, opening to the album that it makes me feel like the rest of the album is going to move in an intentional way and it kind of doesn't uh, I disagree there well you know we'll, we'll go head to head on that then but, we'll go but through I, it, yeah. I guess I guess like you know if this is the opening scene of a film this this feels like the opening scene of a very traditional uh, three act structure narrative film and what follows is something that is much more impressionistic and, and kind of all over the place, at least for me. Uh, I do love it, though. I do think it's beautiful. It's a very cin- cinematic opening to the album. I and also, that, Damon's yeah. the only composer, aside from Jamie Hewlett's token composer credit, listed on this record, which is impressive to me. I mean, I, you know, he'd already done some work in the opera at this point. Monkey had happened between uh, Phase 2 and 3. And I guess he was feeling confident enough in his ability to write for orchestra. Yeah, I mean, he definitely pulled it off. Like I said, the entire piece, Pirate's Progress, is like breathtaking. Yeah, it's really gorgeous. Uh, Welcome to the world of the Plastic Beach, Trevor. All right, so orchestral intro for me is us kind of slowly approaching Plastic Beach, right? You can see this kind of light from a lighthouse cutting through the fog as we get closer and eventually see it kind of. Welcome to the world is us just pulling up to the shore, you know, our submarine popping out of the water, and we're greeted by Snoop Dogg. Even you explaining this makes me feel like there's a real sense of geography on this album. Mm -hmm. Um, You always kind of get a sense of where you are on the beach. And what an unconventional use of Snoop Dogg here. You know what? I think, boy, I think this is my least favorite verse on an album, Gorillaz, tracked by a rapper. It serves its purpose, I think. It serves its purpose. I think everything, he opens so strong. I think everything from the revolution will be televised up through push piece and keep it in motion is so good. It's like, like it he's sets... he's barely rapping at the beginning. He's just kind of throwing out phrases and waiting for something to like stick. Yes, almost like is he vi- is he not vibing with this beat or is he doing something really intentional? And then once he takes off on the track, it really falls apart for me. Like click clacking, crack a lagging, that kind of stuff where it's sort of like 
you start it. He starts in this place that is so like he's just like painting with the with really interesting jagged strokes, you know, uh, and setting such an interesting mood. And then it kind of falls apart for me. I don't know. I I think that to the extent that this track succeeded for me, it does so on the charisma of Snoop Dogg, which of course is a considerable thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I really like the outro. I like I like how his delivery of Welcome to the World of, Pl- of the Plastic Beach. I like how the, the, the instruments kind of slowly drop out on him. Um, do you think... So, I mentioned it earlier, but, you know, Damon produced this album by himself for all intents and purposes. Do you think that it was an intimidating moment for Damon to be like, all right, I'm about to send Snoop Dogg a rap beat that I made by myself? That's a good point, yeah. I wonder. This is a great kind of uh, testament early on to how this is the difficult Gorillaz album. I know you said that Damon wanted to work with, like, pop sensibilities here, but it would have been so easy for him to have just made another Clint Eastwood with Snoop Dogg, you know, that whole... Verse Damon Hook verse Damon Hook format, but instead we just get this really weird. Like, this definitely kind of uh, sets a precedent for the fall, right? This almost sounds like something that would have ended up on that album. Sure, yeah, the same kind of loose, uh, uh, non-traditionally structured. You know, the other secret weapon of this song is Gabe Wallace, who does amazing live drums all over this record. Like, there are more live drum performances on. Uh, Plastic Beach than on any other Gorillaz record, which is one of the reasons why Russell being taken out of the picture is interesting. As right? As far as Very ironic. Uh, but boy, Gabe Wallace is a monster all over this album. And the... and the Because I think he's just using a little trap kit, like a little... The same kind of thing that Questlove would, would play. Uh, not, not too many, you know, toms and bells and whistles. It's very right. tight and clean. And the drum sound on this album is so great. The hypnotic brass orchestra also really holds it down here. For sure. And that's not the last we'll see of the hypnotic brass ensemble on this record either. Definitely not. But do you want to get to uh, White Flag with the Arabic National Orchestra or whatever they're called? Again, no additional composer credits. So as far as we know, Damon also uh, composed this this very authentic sounding uh, Arabic tinged uh, orchestral piece. Um, I, I actually would that, not have exce- I would have not expected that. I always assumed he just kind of pointed a microphone at them for this part. Yeah, so did I, but not according to, to the credits. Who knows what that actually reflects? Yeah. I've always kind of wished, Trevor, that this that I really do like that piece. I wish it was just on the outro. Uh, the fact that it's that it bookends the song feels a little bit copy paste to me in a weird way. It's all Green World all over again, right? It's oh Green World, but there's something weird about copy and pasting like you know 16 bars of an orchestra as opposed to some synths it just feels weird to me like because an orchestra is this big organic thing uh and also i just think that i like the or the orchestra piece a little bit better when it has the white flag drum and bass underneath it i think both and i think the um kind of isolated performance at the beginning only makes the kind of when the song comes together at the end, all the more satisfying. I feel you. Let's talk about uh, Kano and Bashi. I love them on this track. They do. They do such a good job. I love them too. Although I will think, I will say that if it were a competition, I think Kano kind of dunks on Bashi. A little I bit. I think that you know. I just think that when he comes in and that wham 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 last synth is underneath him during his intro, I'm just like, oh yes. My favorite so part badass. though is when they start going back and forth. That's just a yes. joy to listen to. 
And I, I made a note of this. There are a number of songs on this album that I believe are conversational, uh, where the trade-offs are happening like that. And this is the first one. Very good. Um, I love that fretless bass. That fretless bass. That do 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 do. That was like one of the first musical moments we heard from the record in the pre-release stuff. Um, do you remember that when in the Journey to Plastic Beach videos that were coming out? I don't like, remember that. I do remember that they played um, the orchestral part, though, underneath that one part of the website where you could talk to the Seagull and the Pelican, who were voiced by Damon and Jamie. Yeah, the, <laughs> those are, I love that website, by the way. The, the website was, website was so great. good. It was like, it, it didn't really reach that old Kong Studios level, but it was really no. enjoyable for what it was. I think part of the reason it didn't is because of the because of the unfinished nature of this phase. Like there was more intended. Yeah, like, they didn't quite get there. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, the copy pasting thing is another one of those moments on this record where it feels a little bit like, how much time did he have to turn Carousel into Plastic Beach? Like, did this album come out because it was finished, or did it come out because it had to come out? I've always wondered about that. I, I, I mentioned, so there was like a, an ident that came out leading up to the release of Plastic Beach that used this drum and bass piece and i remember that being one of the first moments of music from this album that i heard and it making me really excited because it sounded like immediately funky and weird very gorillazy very distinctive and uh and i still get those good vibes when i hear this song mm -hmm. uh right so nice Trevor. right so nice this is actually probably a top 10 gorilla song for me maybe my favorite song on the record Okay, you want, I'm just gonna. I will maintain until the day I die that this song is a finished version of an old Damon Auburn demo, Rappy Song. Are you familiar with that? I know Rappy Song. It yeah. was from Demo Crazy, the same release that gave us I Need a Gun, like the song right, that would eventually the... become Dirty Harry. I swear to God, Rappy Song is a Rhinestone Eyes demo. Listen to it, you'll see what I'm talking about. I have not gone back. I'll, I'll, I'll listen after this episode and, and report back to you if I think that you're onto something here. Um, I'm going to read exactly what I wrote down okay. under the word rhinestone eyes on this, uh, this word document. All right. Brace for unpopular opinion. Oh, no. This is one of my least favorite Gorillaz songs. Damn. Yeah. I used to always skip this song, and I tried very hard this week to connect with it. Um, I think it's fucking sick. I mean, this is like the Plastic Beach aesthetic for me distilled it sounds like 2d is trapped in a submarine with murdoch like electrocuting him to get him to sing his parts here's here's what i here's the clarity that i've come to around this song it's the verses that hold me back i really do love everything about the chorus i love that electric shock sample i love the way that the synth kicks in on it um, but I have some problems with the verses, and I might as well just tell you what they are. Uh, I don't like the beat. It's too sparse. It makes me... I immediately start to kind of feel like I'm dreading having to go through the song again every time that starts. It just has a negative association with me. I don't like the lilting, sort of higher pitch version of Damon's talk singing that he uses. Like, he seems like he's trying to uh, age himself back a little bit and do, like, a younger version of the Last Living Souls talking. Okay. Uh by giving himself kind of a sing-songy lilt that doesn't work for me. And then my main problem, Trevor, is I feel like these verses are overwritten. Um, I think that he, he he shoots off a couple of really good lines. I really like, uh, so call the mainland from the beach, your heart is now washed up in bleach. Mm -hmm. There's some good ones, but then let's look at a line like your rhinestone eyes are like factories far away. So that's, that is a metaphor that is sitting directly next to a simile. That is such a purple prosy line. Like if I was reading a book 
or a poem that said something like, her porcelain smile was like gently falling snow. It would make me roll my eyes. And this line also makes me roll my eyes. I feel like it's overwritten. Uh, it is definitely it, a melodramatic song. It just uh, it doesn't work for me. It does not exactly work. For, I do like the chorus. I, like, I, do, I love the beat. I love everything about the chorus. But I can't. I know that this is gonna, people are going to crucify me. This is one of the most popular songs on this album. The fan base loves this song, Trevor, and I really tried to understand it this week, but I can't get there on it. Uh, do you think that that's supposed to be Cyborg Noodle who's saying that electric trick, 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 trick? I don't know. That's a good question. I did like that. Um, we looked at a couple interviews for uh, in preparation for talking about this. I think it was the NME one where Murdoch goes track by track. Yeah. And he actually references the fact that that is taken from an old demo of his, which I thought was a cool little nod to the fact that there is that electric shock demo that kind of got cannibalized into yeah, the song. Didn't Damon play that uh, along with two other demos on like a BBC residency show that he, he was played it next something? to a broken demo and a very early version of uh, stylo that I think might've been called stylus at that point. I'm not totally sure though, whether or not that's uh Android noodle or not, this definitely sounds like a, song that could have been played by robots and for that reason it gives me kind of like a real like um like a kraut rock vibe almost to it you know like um craft work or something like that definitely definitely yeah, yeah there's, i there's think it's like really a, cool and actually i prefer the verses to the chorus well i just we'll just have to agree to disagree as we move on to this next track which also had a demo on that same radio show stylo interesting very interesting take for a first single yeah, I think uh, in retrospect, we can all say that that was a mistake. This was the most expensive uh, Gorillaz video ever made, and it was also a big flop, and it probably hurt. So we should talk a little bit about the commercial side of this record, because as little as that has to do with the quality of art, it has a lot to do with what happened How the phase panned out, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the self-titled to date has sold 7 million copies. Demon Days to date has sold 8 million copies. And worldwide to date, Plastic Beach has sold 1.4 million copies. So Oof. that's a big drop. And I know that obviously uh, from between 2005 and 2011, or in 2010, a lot happened in the music industry. And uh, sales projections were down, but they were not that far down. That's um, still a drop. It was a mistake. I like the video, and I actually really like this song. Um, Me too. I think they're both really cool. It's weird that for being the first single and for having such an elaborate video, I think this is probably one of the least discussed songs on this record. Like, you just don't hear people bring this song up much in positive or negative uh, in the fan community. I remember it being pretty polarizing among the fans when it first came out back in 2010, when it was like our first real taste from the record. I know a lot of people, I think Bobby Womack's chorus was a pretty big uh, point of contention. Yeah, because he kind of explodes in this track that otherwise feels quite buttoned down. Yeah, and, like people are not really sure if that, like, you know, his sound was a very good match for everything else Damon was bringing to the table here. I think that Womack brings a lot to the table on this record. I don't necessarily know if one of the things he brings is chemistry, uh, but that's okay. That's I okay love his performance on this song. I think he elevates it to a completely different level. There's something about it that just feels cosmic. Maybe it's the fact that he's literally singing about the universe, but... During that part of the song, this just blasts into space for me. I think his performance does stick out on this uh, this song, probably in a way that bugs some people, but I, it always worked for me. I've always really liked the fact that he stands aside from everything else that's happening in this song in such a stark way. Now, you and I will agree that this isn't a very commercially obvious choice for a first single. 
Fuck. Can no. we also agree that it probably was only the first single because Damon was so excited that he was able to record a song with Bobby Womack and he just wanted yeah. to show off. So Bobby meant so much to Damon, and I mean his his presence is still being felt on humans. There's that line about him in Andromeda. Yep. Uh, he was so excited to work with Bobby, and really, if you haven't gone back through the Bobby Womack catalog, I mean he's he's a real original in the kind of American soul singer canon. I believe this was his first performance in 15 years too. And it had everything to do with his daughter yep. being a fan of the, the band, I believe. Which is interesting because now Damon's daughter's uh, taste in music is dictating who he's collaborating with. Can we talk about the poem that is in this song? Yeah, totally. So uh, underneath the verses, the, the Damon sung verses, there's this uh, kind of back in the mix, super affected recitation of, that Damon Albarn is doing of this poem called A Postcard from Ireland. Is that uh, when he says like a giant fish and that kind of stuff? Yeah, uh, so it's, it's a poem by Michael Horowitz who I guess had had performed this poem, I guess, in a, in a poetry uh, event that Damon was involved with hosting and he was like so struck by it and the imagery of it he felt worked so well with the album that he included it. I actually wrote down the, the section that leads into what's quoted and I wanted to read it for you because I found it really, I don't know, it gave me a little bit of, it, I, I got a little goosebumpy. Behold out of nowhere a message emblazoned across the sky. Guinness for strength. The complete angler is silent, bringing his catch of a lifetime to land. Only these words are incumbent upon him, but the giant fish, as it leaps from the stream, gut curdles its death throes from the end of the line kind of awesome right pretty cool yeah yeah like a really interesting violent depiction of this uh this fisherman reeling in a fish uh uh and really cool in the song i love that you know you can barely make out what's going on in yeah the, a little in easter the egg for you there uh sun moon and stars you want to talk about them <laughs> yeah i don't think um i don't think uh most F contributes like a lot to this track, but I mean it's it's cool. He's he's not particularly important to it, but his like urgent delivery does kind of add a sense of suspense. He kind of feels like he's restating mostly what Damon is is doing on the song in a way, just yeah. kind of doing almost the rap version of what Damon is doing on the track. Mm -hmm. uh, he he fits in. He doesn't detract. Definitely, yeah. Um, still a little bit confused about the character of Sun Moon Stars and, and what's going on, and I I really watched that Rhinestone Eyes video and that. <laughs> that on Melancholy Hill video a lot this week to try to really piece it all together, but I don't think I got any closer to the truth. Yeah, they never really ended up tying all those strings together. He's a spooky guy who lives on Plastic Beach. Yeah. Super fast jellyfish. I, I feel like this is going to be another point where we disagree. Maybe my, like, neck and neck for with Rhinestone Eyes for my favorite song on the album. Not not my top three, but I, I love this song. I do love this song. Man. It's like, it's formulaic by the band standards at this point, but I honestly do not even care when, like... I mean, the arrangements Look, and the rhythm section sound as powerful Gabe as they Wallace, do here. Gabe Wallace on that little trap kit is kicking ass, dude. And, a, and, and Murdoch Nichols proving once again that he's the greatest living bass player. So good. What a yeah. great what a great rhythm section. And I love this weird-ass, playful De La Soul verse. It's yeah. so crazy. I honestly like this better than the reverse on um, Feel Good Inc., I think for a De La Soul performance, it's certainly the weirder of the two and maybe the better of the two. It's like straight back to Three Feet High and Rising, honestly. Here's another moment where I wonder if there, if the album needed a little bit more time in the production phase, though, because they just repeat, they copy-paste True Goy the Dove's 
verse wholesale. Like the All Hail King Neptune just gets repeat repeated at the end. Because even live, they said something different. Uh, super fast jellyfish going super fast. Bet you can't see him, but you want to eat him instead of repeating that verse. Right. I forgot about that, actually. Is Dave, did Damon intend to write a verse for this to sing and just didn't get to it, I wonder? Because the fact that he's not on the he's not on the song at all, right? I think he might be singing back up to Gruff's uh, lead vocals, but he certainly doesn't have a feature right. performance on it. Yeah. I wish that there was something else there instead of just repeating Trugoy's verse, because I like that All Hail King Neptune section of that verse. I just It feels kind of like, a oh shit, we got to get the song mastered now, so let's just drop this here. Maybe. I do like it better the second time around, though, when there's those like weird kind of wilting horns behind it. That's pretty cool. I do yeah. agree. The, can, we talk about this, can we talk about this hook, though? Maybe my favorite chorus in a Gorilla song. I love that hook. It is great. There's something about it that feels very Brit-poppy. Like, this could almost be something like I feel like I could hear on Modern Life is Rubbish. And I guess maybe that's why Damon found it appropriate to get, like, um, a super furry animal to sing the chorus. Right, because you could almost hear this uh, this kind of a chorus showing up on a super furry song as well. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if Gruff stands out very much. Like, I'm sure a lot of people heard this song and just assumed that was Damon. Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. He's also playing... He's also playing guitar on that uh, on that chorus you can you can see him recording that guitar in the little making of plastic beach feature at i love the guitar part guitar part too i mean everything about this song's arrangements are just breathtaking this is the second song by the way that i would call the conversation suite of this record there's a lot of call and response happening in that in that de la soul uh uh yeah, great song. Yeah, you want to get into Empire Ants? I know some people who like this is their favorite Gorilla song. Yeah, this is top three on the record for me. I probably um, wouldn't. It's, it doesn't quite get there for me, but that beat switch up in the middle has to be one of the best moments in the band's entire catalog. Little Dragon had such good chemistry with Gorillas uh, in both of their their collaborations. Like she, they're they're like the find of the phase as far as I'm concerned. The moments on this record in which Little Dragon is playing and and uh, Yukimi is singing, they just feel so integrated into the band. Like where where Gorillas ends and Little Dragon begins is so hard to tell. And uh, I love that that Yukimi and Damon's voices are like two sides of the same coin. They both have this kind of uh, you know back of the throat, almost raspy, wistful approach. But Damon is singing in this kind of dreamy nostalgic way and and you keep me singing in this more urgent you know way reflected by the music they're singing over as well and i love in the in the damon hemisphere of this song that little uh fall through space out of mind sound it's just so beatles-esque it's so pretty totally yeah the backing vocals are gorgeous some great lyrics on this song too i love in the in the in the little dragon half of the song the line uh soon like a wave empires will fall that is really good. Let me let me find a lyric to talk about because I agree with you. This one's really good lyrically. But yeah, I, I really love stuff like the polyphonic prayer is here. The whole world is crashing down on you. The fallen yeah. of the whole empire is here to hold you. Yeah, I've you. always, the imagery that this has always kind of recalled for me, you know, like Damon singing about doldrums. I've always imagined like a deep sea fisherman on like a one man vessel who's sort of sitting in a, in a very calm sea. And then meanwhile, back on the land, you know, workers are, are marching in factories and, you know, I, I don't know. It's Interesting. Really... I always see Damon as kind of a Jimmy Buffett character here, just kind of stoned and melancholy on the beach. Oh yeah. With his Mai Tai and his feet yeah, kicked up. Yeah, something like that. 
I mean, it's Margarita, I suppose. But mm-hmm. Damon strikes me more of a Mai Tai guy. Yeah. Yeah, Empire Ants. Top three for Dylan. Let's talk about, uh, is this one of our top three songs on the album, Trevor? Is Glitter Freeze one of the highlights of this project? Oh, boy. <laughs> it has to be the most polarizing gorilla song, right? Like, of all time. Yeah, so there's a hate meme. I don't even know if it's polarizing, because I feel like it's defenders don't say... What are you talking about? Glitter Freeze yes. is amazing. That's that's fair. This has got to be the <laughs> this has got to be the most hated gorilla song of all time. Yeah. And like I said, I think I've said in a past episode, I know people who say this is their least favorite song of all time. That's so bonkers to me. You know what? This song has really never bothered me. All I can say about it is whether or not it was good enough to be on this record is questionable. <laughs> here's here's the thing, okay? I can get it being on the record. I'm fine with that. One it does not need to be four whole minutes long. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Cut 60 seconds off of the song at least. Two, you do not need to do it at every live date, including your iTunes session, which got released as an EP. I know, that's crazy. There were like five songs on it, and Glitter Freeze is one of them. <sighs> they must have been really in love with it. I do kind of like that main siren melody. I, I mean, it's, it's a cool track. Melody. It's a cool little song. I, I actually love the alternate version that never ended up getting an official release. It has some Damon vocals, has some doing really cool stuff. It's got more. And it's got Marky e. Smith doing some really weird, crazy shit on it. Like, Can we talk about Marky e. Smith? Because Yeah, so The Fall has a. is like. Every now and then in your life, you will meet a diehard fan of The Fall, and they're always weird guys. Of course they are. <laughs> Have you listened to The Fall? Yes, of course I've listened to The Fall. It's like, it's like, it's almost like if Morrissey was a talk singer who was like even farther up his own ass. Like you only get a third of the punchlines unless you're like reading along with them. It's so weird. Yeah, I'm not a big Fall guy, really. Yeah, I mean, I put, I, I haven't listened to them in a while, and I put on um, Hex Induction Hour at mm-hmm. one point this week to kind of prepare for this podcast just totally forgot that Marky Smith just drops the n-word like 30 seconds into that album he's like he's like Morrissey if he was like a demon yes exactly he's, I, he's, I do want to talk a little more about Marky Smith though because like yeah. I said we've read a couple interviews and in both of them Marky Smith's uh, the session they did with Marky Smith comes up and I also it looked on Marky Smith I looked on Marky Smith's Wikipedia page like, the third sentence on this thing is that, although hugely talented and charismatic, Smith is famously acerbic and difficult to work with. Yes, exactly. If there is a, <laughs> if there is a gorilla session I could ever be able to see, it would be this one. I think because... they allude to the fact that he might have been sundowning. If you're not familiar uh, with the concept of sundowning, so older people who are maybe in the early stages of dementia, when, they, when the sun goes down, they're clarity of thought and their mood goes through a weird shift uh and jamie and damon were kind of talking about how it seems like towards the end of the day it all starts to catch up with him and i wonder if there was a little bit of a oh boy this guy's this guy's not totally on <laughs> standing tall on both feet feet at this point I, I was reading the wired interview and at one point they they ask i'm envisioning you and marky e. smith working together what was that like and damon's response is and this was transcribed <laughs> like like six F's followed by two S's and three H. And then he says, Well if you know Marky Smith, you know he's uh he's quite a he's quite the individual is young Mark. <laughs> and then Jamie comes in and tries to be real political. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then there's also that um there's also that 
NME interviewer, Murdoch, takes us through uh, track by track. Yeah. And uh, he says, um, I'm really glad we managed to get Marky Smith on the record. I'm not sure he felt the same. <laughs> Would have loved to have been there for all of that, right? Yeah. In the, al- in the alternate version where he's all over it, you do get to hear him kind of become increasingly unhinged sounding as the track goes on. And it yeah. is really interesting. Swab out the decks. Yeah, that's fun. And really then, cool. And then, like, the Glitter Freeze itself is a pirate ship, I believe, right? Within the lore, it's, the, it's, a, it's a big pirate ship that perhaps Sun Moon Stars is on. I, I'm trying to piece this together, guys. It's not immediately clear. Uh, Trevor, some kind of nature. This one's cool. Always struck me as, like, as much as I like Lou Reed, and I like Lou Reed a lot. Some like, I fucking love the Velvet nature. Underground, okay? But as much as I like Lou Reed, some this has always kind of struck me away as, like, a bit of a throwaway track, a little fillery. So this is top three. Really? Uh, on this album for me. We yeah, do absolutely. not agree on this album. No, we're, we're, on totally, we're in totally different places on this record. Here's, I guess here's, so. Let me, I'll, I'll, make my, I'll make my case for it. Okay. I love the different moods that Lou and Damon bring to their delivery of the same set of lyrics on this track. Uh, I feel that. I feel like, I feel like Damon is, uh, is, you know, he's sort of, he's got a pining sound to his voice, whereas Lou is quite sexual. There's a very flirty uh, take to the way he delivers. I love his delivery on this one, especially when he goes, protect your girls. Yeah, that's so Lou. That's really so, cool. That's so Transformers era Lou Reed. Yes, absolutely. I love this lyric. I love some kind of metal made up from glue. Uh, I love the corny little synth clarinet thing. Like There are moments where Damon's production uh, on this record is maybe a little bit questionable. Like, is this too cute or is this working? But I love that corny little synth. And uh, I'm so happy that we have this song because to me, it's a true highlight in the later period of Lou's musical output. Like he sounds strong and clear-headed. The backing vocal group on this record that doesn't have many appearances are credited as the purple plastic eating people in the uh, liner notes, Trevor. I think they show up again on Pirate Jet. Yes, they do, in which they are name-checked. Are you aware that one of the members of the Purple Plastic Eating People is Gruff Reese? Aren't a couple of collaborators in it? None who have feature credits. Interesting. Um, I thought it was more than him, but I I think I do remember knowing that he was in there. Boy, I I just, I really like this song. I really like the, it's another conversation song, obviously. Totally. uh, I don't know, this is just an interesting blend of tones, which are all of my favorite moments on this record are, are weird blends of tones. It's a little sad. It's a little cute and funny. It's a little sexual. I like all of it. I mean, aside from the sexual part, I think you just summed up the next song we're going to talk about perfectly on Melancholy Hill. Yeah, I am oddly proud of this song, Trevor. I know that's a weird word to use. Um, I I was originally taken back by how saccharine this one initially felt. But in time, it's going to be one of my favorite songs by the band. I would probably put it in my top three on the album. Well, you know, it is the third most popular Gorilla song. Yeah, I do Um, remember you telling me that a few episodes back. It's been played more times even than Dare, which was a UK number one hit. It's a really uh, good song. I love the way it sounds. It's like Damon has an entire fleet of synths all buzzing and humming behind him, propelling him along. It's like he's got like an entire submarine filled with synthesizers. And it's had a, uh, it's had an oddly, like almost an office space kind of second life of popularity. Because when it came out, like it did shit. Like it, I believe the highest ranking it got to was like number 13 on the Australian dance music chart. Well, who wants to hear this old British dude sing about manatees? Right, uh, and it's just become this kind of, it's become one of the signature songs of the project. I love the fact that it, it I believe, intentionally quotes 
both lyrically and melody mel- melodically from "And Your Bird Can Sing" by the Beatles. Uh, uh, I don't know. Have you ever noticed that before, Trevor? No, but that's honestly one of my favorite Beatles tracks. So yeah, the "And Your Bird Can Sing," the "But You Won't See Me," "You Won't See Me" versus mm. "But You Can't Get Me," "You Can't Get Me." And I think that's intentional. I'm pretty sure that that's intentional. And I looked like hell because I thought there was an interview in which it was mentioned, but I could not find it. Sorry. Mm. But I love the little breakdown with the synth solo in it. That little fun, bouncy, plucky synth solo. There are so many cool little pretty synth melodies here. I don't know where Damon keeps pulling them out of because it's just one after another. I wonder what it might have looked like if they had really pushed this song as the first single with like a big, crazy video. I wonder what it would have looked like if uh, this had... Or ended up as a Good, the Bad, and the Queen song as it was originally supposed to be. I mean, it would have had a very different tone. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, I uh, I wish that we had a better music video for this song. And I, I don't mean that the music video we have is a bad video. It's like a very well done video. Uh, but here's one of the places where not being able to see Jamie Hewlett's full game plan for Phase 3 hurts it. Because what we kind of have is just a short chapter in the ongoing story of Plastic Beach that feels incongruous, like it doesn't really match. I wish we had a video that was just Jamie's visual representation of this song. The video, I actually didn't watch the videos uh, leading up to this episode. It's just uh, them in a submarine, right? So it begins with Real Noodle on a cruise ship that is being attacked by bomber planes. She shoots a few of them down with a machine gun. Right. And then we move to the band, three of the band members, Cyborg Noodle and Tootie and Murdoch in a submarine. And we see animated versions of all of the other Plastic Beach collaborators also in submarines. Uh, And towards the end, we see Russell swimming uh, and getting bigger as he swims. And then eventually he sort of stands up in the ocean as they reach Plastic Beach and... Uh, real noodle with her mask on her face is sitting on his head and then it ends um, nothing wrong with the video just I wish that instead we had a video that feels like a video for this song right it does it does show how the um, whole narrative thing that they were trying to go for ended up not serving the project and the end and it might have yeah. If we had gotten to the end of this thing, we might I might feel totally differently about all this stuff, but we'll never really know. It's so far out that I've just tended to start forgiving that kind of stuff and appreciating what we have for it. And, you know, I think it's a pretty cool video. And let's talk about Broken, because this week, I believe that I came to a conclusion about uh, this album, which is that a lot of these songs, I feel like, form pairs uh, with other songs. Definitely. I can totally agree with that. I believe the first completed pair for me on the record is On Melancholy Hill and Broken. Okay. Uh, I think that they're both love songs about distance. On Melancholy Hill is about Are You Here With Me? I Want You Here With Me? Be Close To Me. And Broken is about an impossible distance to cross between you and another person. I really like these two songs. I like the flavor that they make in my mouth when I listen to them together. Um, Me too. This feels like a good kind of come down almost from this emotional overload catharsis of Melancholy Hill. It almost feels kind of a little numb and almost like detached. And something that I've always thought adds to that is, um, maybe this is weird, but I've always appreciated... I really liked Damon's use of pronouns in this song. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I get you. Like, he's not singing about himself. He's saying, like, there's nothing you can do for them. There's nothing you can say to him. And it's an interesting way to talk about that kind of the the waning days of a relationship. Totally. To sort of stand in this detached place where you're speaking as a third-party narrator. Really just beautiful imagery in this song, too. Like, distant stars come in black or red. 
I love the, this is one of those kind of wistful crooner Damon vocal performances mm-hmm. uh, on this album, of which there have already been a few, but there are certainly plenty. And uh, It's almost got like a bossa nova kind of vibe that really now today makes me think more of like hotline bling than anything. It's a, it's a, a little drakey. <laughs> but like lyrically, this is one of my favorite cuts from the album. Like um, in our eyes, every time they meet, it's by the light of the plasma screens, which we keep switched on all the night while we sleep. Like just really very distinct images and... Cool, That's another. Stuff. See, this this to me succeeds in the way that that lyrically at least, in the way that Rhinestone Eyes doesn't. Like mm-hmm. I feel like the imagery is so on point, and I really like it. I started to really fall in love with the song more when I started to think of it as as the other half of a story that's kind of being told by my on melancholy Hill. It's a great track, and it's easy to dismiss this one as filler. I think too, especially because like when you read that. NME article with uh, Murdoch going track by track. All he has to say about this one, I'm going to read it in its entirety, is um, I don't really know what to say about this track. You know, like Frank Zapper said, talking about music is like fishing about architecture. This track just works. I don't want to talk about it. Is that That's okay? Weird. Why, why that? Why that, I wonder? I have no idea. Just like, I guess Cass, Cass Brown, Brown, Cass Brown like was a little song? tired. He was just a little tired. I'm very interested to hear what you think about Sweepstakes. Sweepstakes is really cool. It's I know this is again like a polarizing track among the girls. A lot fans. of hate. A lot you of kind hate of, for this, song. this is one where you either kind of love it or hate it. Most F says this is one of the best songs he's ever rapped on. And I at the time he said, I believe he said that it was the best performance he's ever given. And I maybe like I'm not super familiar with too much of his stuff. Like I've only really heard like Black on Both Sides, but he sure, kills Black it on both here. Sides and the Super Sonic or whatever that one was yeah, called. Yeah, he kills it here unpopular opinion alert this is maybe my favorite song on this album nice cool <laughs> I love you know this what song. it needs that it honestly needs that because i think I love it's this song. It's, it's so sick look i get if you're not into the song it is so unlike any other gorilla song in the entire canon it's so unlike like basically anything else you would ever listen to if you're a Gorillaz fan, there is no guarantee that anything this song is doing is going to be up your up your alley. But I do want to, if you're a person who hates sweepstakes, I'm not going to say that this is going to save this song or make you love it. But if you've only really listened to this on headphones, try listening to this song on a nice stereo system. And if you're really doubting it, I would say uh, hunt down a live version because this song really brought the house down live. I love the way that most Def's performance builds because he starts off in this very staccato, punctuated, and then his syllables just get like longer and the double track vocals get messier. Yes. The the visual I've always gotten from listening to this song, the production on this song is amazing. The visual that I've always gotten from this song is like a giant tornado full of post-consumer waste and plastic. Very cool. Just getting bigger and bigger and pulling up all this stuff in it. And, uh, the hypnotic brass ensemble stuff in this is so great. Uh, my only wish is that, so the way that this track ends is that it kind of peels out and there's like a little 30 second where it winds down. I almost wish it just ended at the peak of that cacophony, you know? I like the wind down at the end. I like that it is a slow build up to the cacophony and then we get that little kind of wind down at the end. Almost like um, Every Planet We Reach is Dead. Like as soon as the first as soon as the be- the beat on this song starts, I like get into a really pumped up charge up move. And by the way, I believe that this song forms a pair with Glitter Freeze. I love that. I love that. I think that they're both noisy, lore intensive songs about characters in this story. I t- I know exactly what you mean. I did as soon as he said it. 
uh, sweepstakes. You're a winner, man. It's a winner. Sweepstakes is a winner, in Mo- my opinion. And like, it's so good. I remember seeing this live uh, right before the track starts. Um, Most stuff comes out kind of in character as Sun Moon Stars. I'm pretty sure that's what he's doing because most stuff is Sun Moon Stars, right? He's supposed to be this boogeyman as character. Sun Moon and Starry, y'all. Yeah, that's him. So, like, in like the first couple seconds of the song, when they do it live and they're just kind of amping it up, he comes. Oh, out and he starts, just does carnival barker. He starts doing this carnival act where he's like, "Everybody, step right up! Come on, come test oh, your luck!" So good. It's, I kind of like. I feel like that wouldn't have had a place on the album, but it was so great to see it live. Yeah, there's some really great live versions of, of Plastic Beach tracks that unfortunately are a little hard to track down. Like, Live Stylo fucking goes off, dude. All the songs are really good live. Definitely worth it is um, so good. Definitely worth checking out if you can if you feel like hunting those down. If you have Apple Music, actually, there is an iTunes session EP up that you can listen to, and this kind of leaves us in a good place, I think, for the final leg of the album to begin. Uh, before before we get into that final leg, I feel like Sweepstakes acts as the gear shift of this album, where it all kind of comes into the denouement from here, in a way that I wish Broken had been that gear shift. Broken, to me, feels like everything that comes after it should have reflected that mood shift. Uh, I wish that this album was resequenced a little bit. I'm going to say it. There's stuff that I would have moved around. Hmm. But you know what? We, the album we have is what we have. So let's move on to Plastic Beach. So Plastic Beach, the title track, I think kind of starts this last leg of the album. But it also feels like a climax of everything we've had before. You know, I think yes. like... As a good title track should, this is the one where it sounds like everything has finally come together. You know, it's like the best example of this kind of plastic robot pop that Damon spent an entire album crafting and the themes he spent every track before this exploring. There's something like very cathartic about having a song like this at this point in the record, you know? It like, this is a this is so close to my top three. I yeah. really love the song. Like like you yeah. said, this is the denouement. This is where Damon knows he has us. Like before we could enjoy Plastic Beach the song, we had to learn about Plastic Beach. We had to learn about Plastic Beach the concept, and now we have. Right. So we're here. Yeah, I was. I, it's such a it's such a like you say. It's this great distillation of all of the themes of this record. Like in a world where this album doesn't exist, they could have just dropped this song, and you would have gotten it. You know. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such a perfect encapsulation of, of the whole idea of Plastic Beach. Uh, it's also a very, it's very good, bad, and queeny in a way. Like, it feels the most like a synergy between Gorillaz and the good, the bad, and the queen for a song, in my opinion. Yeah, even more so than On Melancholy Hill, which is interesting because that was a GBQ track. I love the weird mood that this song sets. Like, it, to me, it always makes me think of a weird mix of, like, a synth pop song and, like, the Old West and a haunted house. Like, it's an odd synergy the groove is just so cool and i love the weird funny and yet a little bit creepy lyric the live drums again holding it down there's some great uh uh drums on this track and then i love that little groany bassy synth that comes in during the second chorus and kind of holds down the outro of the song i love that synth line so good is that the one that's like yeah that one's very cool yeah so good. This whole track really wraps up in a very satisfying way. It almost feels like this could be the closer, but then we got kind of like these little three bonus tracks at the end. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So let's talk about the bin. Yeah, it's this is another of my absolute favorite tracks on the album, and I love that Damon chooses to follow up the climactic one-two punch of Sweet Takes and the title track with this kind of 11th hour emotional ballad. It's almost like he 
remembers that he has like a B plot that he needs to kind of wrap up. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, I, I think obviously that this song forms a pair with Empire Ants, not just because of the Little Dragon uh, feature, mm-hmm. um, because I feel like what this song does is it almost takes the two hemispheres of, of Empire Ants and then mashes them together and tries to make them coexist. And what's interesting about that is I feel like this time Damon and Yukimi have like almost switched places. I feel like this time Damon sounds more urgent and Yukimi sounds more serene. That's a really good, that's a really cool way to look at it. Yeah. I'm going to say this though, as much as this sonically works, uh, in being in kind of the outro suite of this album, I think it was a mistake to sequence the song after Broken. This is a this is a song to me that is about the complications of being involved with another person who you care about. You know, it's it's the I still love you song, but this it's the I still you love you, but this is hard song. It almost feels like the middle chapter of the story that's told by On Melancholy Hill and Broken in terms of just the the timeline of a relationship. But I don't like it being after Broken. I think it's weird that it's after Broken just in terms of the lyric. I don't know. I think emotionally it makes sense to have this kind of sighing resignment at the end following the more kind of darker explorations. I mean, this basically, it's basically this is another one of those songs that makes me, uh, that takes me right back to Damon's Britpop days because this is basically a rewrite of To The End, right? Like the song with Francois Hardy from Park Life. I really like this song a lot, though. Like, I like it a lot better Me than too. To The End, mainly because of this really cool kind of surf rock vibe it has to it. Like, it reminds me of this great instrumental ballad from the 50s by Santo and Johnny. Are you familiar with, like, Sleepwalk? Uh, no, I don't. at least not by name. Really, really cool track. It always makes me feel like I'm, like, really kind of bummed out and wistful while driving around Bikini Bottom. Let's talk about the cheesy, kind of cheap-sounding synth that, that uh, underpins the song. Is that is that a, a cuteness that works for you, or is that a moment where you feel like you can hear the limitations of Damon Albarn as a producer? I like everything about the way this song sounds, man. I don't know. This is one of my favorites on the record. One of my favorite Gorillaz tracks. That might be the one mo- the one thing on this album I still haven't made my mind up about is if is if I feel like that that the 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 synth that pins this whole thing down is that charming. I think or so. does that feel a little janky to me? I'm not sure. I haven't decided. This sounds like it could be from like Greece or something. I like it a lot. This is also the fourth and final conversation song on the album, Trevor. Okay, cool. Uh, I don't know what I have to say about the fact that I noticed that there was a lot of call and response on this record. Maybe it's just that communication is a the theme of this record. Uh, let's talk about On the Cloud of Unknowing. This one's very beautiful. Great performance by Bobby. Yeah, what do you think about Damon's uh, vocal version of this track with the acoustic? That one's really nice, too. I think this ended up being the better way to go. Yeah, I think there's something about the way that Damon sells a lyric like this lyric that makes it feel like a sort of a quiet tone poem, Mm -hmm. where Bobby singing it makes him sound almost like he's God. Yeah, it definitely feels like some kind of greater power speaking to Damon. I really love Sinfonia Viva on this track. It's such an oddly subtle arrangement for an orchestra. Like they join, they start to join the the mix on this track, and you almost don't even notice they're there. The the strings are kind of so gentle, uh, and they just like start to slowly come up from behind. And then the the song ends on this bizarre question mark of a of a sting. I love that because That's this so sort of- cool. This song would have made such an obvious choice for a closer. 
Like it almost would have given you the same kind of feeling that Demon Days, the title track, gives you at the end of that record, right? It's such a, it, it is a peaceful note of resolution, despite the kind of mysterious ending at the end. But but I, lo- I love that mysterious ending. I love that mysterious totally, yeah. ending. And even more than that, this is another good example, I think, of, of Plastic Beach being the difficult record. Because while the easy closer, the beautiful moment of resolution at the end is right here, this isn't how Damon chooses to see out the album. Yes, he 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 goes a different way, and I will say that listening to Cloud of Unknowing this week was was different for me emotionally, even than it was when I kind of listened to this song after Bobby had died. Because what I was really thinking about this time was how meaningful this collaboration was to Damon. Clearly, like I was thinking about him talking on that Sound Exploder uh, interview about tearing up in the booth when he was recording the the verse in Andromeda that references Bobby. Um, I don't know, it just imbued this song with even more emotion, even though it's probably already maybe the most emotional song on the album. Absolutely. Pirate Jet. Pirate Jet. Here is the actual proper closer, and it is as weird and creepy and cryptic as the closer of Plastic Beach probably should be. You know, I really like this song. I, like, uh, I can't say it's like my favorite on the album, but it definitely serves its purpose really well. I think it's like, it's in the... the top half of the songs on this album for me i uh wow interesting yeah i love the weird groove i think that this song forms the final pair on the record with plastic beach i think that uh this is the other almost good bandit bad and queenie old west uh uh gorilla song that happens uh and it's a continuation of the exact imagery that we get in the song plastic beach as well um I like that weird groove. I like the little, the two little bleep bloops that start playing, you know, at the end of each measure. I really like those kind of music box noises that we're eventually left with at the end. Just really eerie stuff. Very ominous. Like I said, cryptic. I love the, I love the repetition and I love the long fade. The long fade uh, makes this do something very different than any other closing track on a Gorillaz album. It makes me feel like you know, even after this song ends, somehow Plastic Beach continues on. Like, that this refrain, the purple plastic eating people will somehow continue singing this refrain forever as I sail away from the island. You know? Well, because they left the taps on for the next thousand years for or whatever the lyric for, is. Yeah, for a hundred years. Yeah. I like those lyrics. I like the imagery of them quite a bit. Yeah, and I agree with you, too. It doesn't feel like the story is ending. It just feels like our glimpse into it is coming to an end. Yeah, it feels like an ellipsis. You know? This is us getting uh, back on the submarine and sailing away. So in conclusion, Trevor Ickrath, about Plastic Beach, I think that it is a a tornadic, unwieldy, uh, you know, somewhat messier Gorillaz album than any of the other three. But at the end of the day, I'm almost right back where I was when I first heard it and thinking that it is just a lot of fun and joy this record brings into my life. It's really interesting because I've never seen this really as a fun album. This is really the album for me where Damon just kind of starts thumbing his nose at anyone who do- who thinks Gorilla should be anyway in particular. That's fun to me. The, yeah. the, the fuck you attitude of it I find very fun. Totally. Totally. <laughs> I, I will give you that. I will give you that. I think we did it. I think we finally made sense of this this crazy album that's been plaguing me. <laughs> for seven years. I've yeah, that completes our of tour of Plastic money. Beach, I guess. And and our tour of the, I would say, the main. The proper, the proper studio LPs. 
let's uh, let's talk a little bit about our our future plans before we get out of here, Trevor. Let's do it because this des- de- this definitely feels like us completing the first kind of leg of this podcast. Yes, or perhaps in a way next week we'll complete the first leg of the of the podcast. So what's going? Well, that's going to that's going to start a whole new era, dude. I mean, that's going to be the era of there being four Gorillas albums. Can you believe that? Next Friday there are going to be four Gorillas albums. This Friday. This Friday. So what's going to happen is exactly a week from today, you're going to get our proper track by track review of humans. Uh, it's going to be structured exactly like these other ones have been. Obviously, we'll have only had a weekend to listen to the album, so pardon our dust. We'll do our best to be as as uh, thorough as we possibly can in discussing that record. But before that, but before that, uh, we wanted to do something a little different. So this. Friday, when you wake up in the morning and you uh, you excitedly rip the cellophane off of your new shiny copy of Humans, if you check the feed for this podcast, you will see an emergency episode because what we're going to do, Trevor, is at midnight when the when the album drops digitally uh, on iTunes and stuff, you and me, I think what we're going to do is listen to the album on our own probably only two times all the way through, uh, and then we're going to jump on the mic. And we're going to not review it. We're just going to give our first impression. It's going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it a little bit. We're going to have our little rap session. We're not going to do any session. news. We're not going to do any. We're just going to like what it, what's going on with this with this record. I'm very excited about it. I've heard it once. I'm excited to hear it again. And uh, and boy, if I had to record that episode right now, it would be a stuttering, crazy episode. I'm sure we'll be regardless. So I'm still excited to get to it, though. Very excited. Very yeah. excited. Humans countdown. Trevor, are you? Oh, I'm so jazzed! I'm so excited about it. It st- it still barely feels real to me. And if you're uh, if you want to get involved a little bit, uh, you can always reach out to us. Uh, Trevor and I love to hear from you guys, so you can check us out on Twitter at Gorillas Fancast. You can follow us on Facebook, uh, Facebook.com/slash Hallelujah Monkeys, or on Tumblr, which is hallelujahmonkeys.tumblr.com. You can send us an email to hallelujahmonkeys at gmail.com. We're also on YouTube, Hallelujah Monkeys, and we're available however you're listening to us and a lot of other ways. Write us a review, too. Get on iTunes. We haven't had a new review in a few weeks. We want to hear from you guys. Even more exciting uh, than the release of Humans, Trevor, is the idea that maybe in the next five days we will be able to download the Lens app and see... (laughs) The magenta objects in our homes transformed into exclusive gorillas content. Yeah, forget about the album. I just want that lens. <laughs> oh, well, until next time, I am Dylan Flynn. I'm Trevor Ickrath. I don't have anything. Do you have anything? What- you know, I don't, I don't have anything. I guess we're really going to have to uh, wave the old white flag here. Just call it a day. <laughs> Catch you guys next week. Oh!